Fusion Retro Books produce an outstanding bi-monthly magazine in the form of Fusion, a stunning mix of retro and modern gaming delivered to your door and filled with articles to take you on a nostalgic trip while keeping you up to date with modern gaming, because old or new, good games are just good games, right? And now announcing the Fusion 2020 annual Kickstarter, because it's not a real gaming mag until it gets its own glossy annual, is it now? Find out more at FusionGameMag.com. We spend a lot of time in our tea breaks chatting to people who made games back in the 80s and the 90s, but today we're talking to a man who's creating brand new games for an 80s machine. And not just any machine, it's one of the most unique home games machines of all time. It's the Vectrex, and to tell us all about it, hello and welcome Robin Jubber. Hi there, and thanks for having me. Um, Robin, thanks for spending some time with us today. Before we get to your current project... Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Are you or were you a games developer at any point or is this a yeah, whole new um, venture? I've uh, been making games since uh, probably the mid-90s. Um, started off on really obscure platforms. So the first game I had published was on the Archimedes, um, 32-bit Acorns. Um, uh, the first machine I had at home was a, a BBC Micro. Um, so I'm really good at picking machines that no one else has bought. Um, good machines and, though good machines I'm oh, looking great at, computers uh, just on the floor um, across the room I've got a BBC Master which I recently acquired and need to clean up I'm really looking forward to it they're, they're great machines some fantastic games on them as well it's where I got it, really got into the hobby um, I say hobby my job um, since the sort of uh, I think commercial stuff would be mostly be the PlayStation era onwards um, so I started writing for PS1 uh, two, three, four, and everything else that's in, been in between, plus, of course, Xbox and various other consoles. Okay, okay, so quite a history then in games making. Um, was uh, was BBC Basic where, where it started for you then? Yep, well, mostly. Um, the very, very first machine I ever played with would either be a Vax Delta, because my dad worked at a at Shell Expo, or which you can't really put in your house, or um, I think a Sinclair Spectrum, um, which gave me an introduction to computers i saw jetpack and wanted to know how that worked but it's not a good machine to program on or it it was tough um that those keys are kind of horrible i didn't know any better at the time and when i got a bbc micro it felt like a huge step forwards um but yeah bbc basics the, the my favorite language probably still after all this time so what were those games that you bought out for the archimedes what were the names of them uh, they were really bad. Uh, one of them was Gloop. It was um, for Fourth Dimension, and they were uh, keen on having a sort of a version of Pipe Mania. Um, so it's basically that. Um, they were one of the biggest publishers on the platform, weren't they, Fourth Dimension? Yes, yeah, so there weren't a lot of alternatives. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think Superior Software was still doing a few games with them, and um, yeah, but they were probably the biggest. Yeah. And then on the PlayStation, can you just rattle through some of the names of the games that you worked oh, on? Oh, well, some bad ones. There was, um, I've had a uh, pretty checkered history of the companies I've worked <laughs> at. Uh, There's a game called Rat Attack, um, which is on the, Spectre, uh, sorry, on the PlayStation and uh, N64. Um, man, I can't remember half the stuff I've worked on. I've, I worked on Subutio at one point, which is the weirdest game I've ever worked on. That's a simulation of a simulation of a game. Um, <laughs> did it, did it actually involve flicking the players in the game with a hand? Yes, because we had the, the PS1 had um, those uh, the thumbsticks, which which we sort of thought we'd, we'd flick those oh, with your finger, you could like a football. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was about the only good idea involved in that project. Um, I then I worked on a game called Malice on uh, I think it was on PS2 and Xbox, uh, which is a 
famously troubled history. It took about four years to develop. Um, moved from about four different consoles while it was being made, and pretty much started out in the bargain bucket as soon as it was released. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not every project I've worked on has been quite that bad. Um, worked on a game called Velocity on uh, PSP and PS3 um, and PS Vita. That was a really good game. That was really good fun to work on. Um, and things like Coconut Dodge and stuff on PSP. Um, and currently I've been doing a lot of uh, VR projects. So the next thing that I'll have worked on that will be out will be on um, Oculus uh, Quest. So yeah, quite, quite a big jump between the different kinds of hardware yeah. I've worked. Can you share with us who you're working for currently? Or uh, is that on a need-to-do um, basis? Uh, no, it's, it's, uh, I was w most recently working with Endreams who are based in Farnborough, and they've got a really good VR game coming out. And, and that means something, because a lot of VR games, um, including some of the ones I, I've uh, been contracted to work on, haven't really nailed the format. It's quite hard to make it so you can actually play in VR, and only a few games have really managed to do it, and I think this is going to be one of them. Excellent. Well, you are right on the cutting edge then of new games making. So what is it that gave you a hankering then to create something for an old system like the Vectrex? The Vectrex is absolutely mad. It's <laughs> there's nothing else like it. It really shouldn't exist, and I don't know why they came up with it in the first place. Um, it's you can't emulate it. That's one of the best things about it. Um, a graphics card, modern graphics card, can obviously draw lines just as fast as a Vectrex, but it can't make them look the same um, because you're using um, vector technology as opposed to raster technology. Uh, you you can sort of fake it a bit, but it's not quite the same thing. Once you've seen a Vectrex in front of you, you kind of want to program it immediately because it's so bizarre. So like a TV, an old black and white television that's been flipped on its side. Um, it's got a, a 6809 processor inside it, which is a great 8-bit um, CPU that nobody else used for anything. I think maybe the Dragon had one? That's right, yeah, um, the Dragon 32, yeah. It's, it's, that's about it. It really wasn't very popular. Um, maybe the ColecoVision? I'm not entirely certain. But So it's kind of a weird chip, but it's a really good chip. It's the forebear of things like the 68000 you get in the Amiga and the Atari, which are really, it's a really good CPU. And the, as an 8-bit chip, it's almost a 16-bit chip. You've got 16-bit instructions. You can do multipliers and things like this, which like, things like the 6502 can't handle. But the main reason to code for it is once you've seen it, you kind of want to go, how the hell does that even work? Because you don't have, you don't have bit planes, you don't have bitmaps, you're not using sprites. It's just completely different from everything else. Um, so I, I sort of thought, maybe I can get a triangle moving around on screen. And before I knew it, I'd written a 64K um, bank-switched cartridge with save games and all sorts of other features. It just expanded yeah, yeah. So there was no no question in your mind that it had to be the Vectrex. You weren't tossing up between the Commodore sixty four Spectrum or anything like that. You just thought, um, I've got to make well, something for the Vectrex. <laughs> it wasn't quite like that. It was um, I, I just had a baby, and I was going to be spending a bit of time um, being a dad at home, um, playing with a newborn child, and um, coincidentally thought I'd muck around with the, the Vectrex code, see if I could just get something to compile. Um, just get it to run because it, there's not a lot of support for it out there either. It's not um, like on C64 you can get tons of different compilers and there's a lot of a lot of information. You have to really dig around on the internet to find out about the Vectrex. Um, but it, it was kind of addictive. Once I'd made a little thing happen, and then I got Pong running. Like the most basic game you can write is Pong. You sort of you, once you do that, that's kind of like the rite of passage. It's like the hallow world of of games coding. 
Um, and then I just sort of wanted to add more and more to it, how much I could compress, how much could I fit into a cartridge. And then I found out about bank switching, which the, the Vectrex can only address about 32K of, um, of ROM, which is where you store all of your code and data. Um, but you can, you can trick it. You can send a signal down a certain line that allows it to switch bank. You can also use this to save games, which the original cartridges didn't do. Um, so you can have like a tiny little 32-byte EPROM and write to that so you can have a save facility. I just wanted to just how much can I fit into 64K of ROM space? Yeah, and can you use all of that 64K at the same time or because your bank switching is one or the other half? It's it, Well, it's it's kind of like you can do it subtly. You can have it, for example, in a menu. My menu system allows... There's about 14 games I wrote into the cartridge. Also, it's like a player two tournament. It's kind of like... Um, you know, like the Olympics for, for two players, um, but with lots of old retro games instead of running. Um, so you could have it happen on a menu switch, but if you were making a single game, you could definitely do it. You'd have it, you'd have it somewhere else, like if you were switching levels or something like this. Right, yeah, yeah. Because it's very fast. Yeah. Well, we'll come on to your, your cartridge, which is called uh, Player 2. That's right, isn't it? That's right. We'll come on to that shortly. Just sticking to the Vectrex back in its original form, was it a successful machine back in the day? It was a complete disaster. Um, the, the timing was atrocious. The, the machine came out, I think it was in 1982, just before the, um, one of the many uh, game crashes that happened. This was a big one. This, this nearly bankrupted Atari. It nearly took out a lot of games companies at the time. And it certainly did for um, the Vectrex. You had a fairly expensive console with a fairly small selection of games. That didn't look like anything else. So you weren't getting the, the same titles as on the other machines. And at the time, I think um, having arcade ports was really important. Um, which the Vectrex it had games a bit like some of those machines, but again, it was kind of trailing its own path. There was you didn't get a straight conversion of anything else because the Vectrex looked so odd and it had vector graphics. Um, so yeah, they, it died. I th I don't know how many they sold. Hundreds of thousands, maybe. I doubt it was anywhere like a million for even the worst performing consoles. Um, and now, because they die so fast, you're talking about tens of thousands of machines still left. Yeah, maybe. And one thing that's noticeable in the um, in the software library that's available for it is the absence of two player games or at least two player simultaneous games. Um, at least, yeah, there isn't anything. There's just very, very few. Yeah, it's it's really strange because it it actually has two joystick ports. Um, so it supports it. It can certainly do it. It just um, nobody thought to do that. Hmm. I think there's, there's there's not that many titles. It's maybe twenty games. I'm not sure of the exact number. It's something in that region. Yeah. So um, is that something that you'd identified as a problem when you set about creating your cartridge? Did you specifically think, right, I need to create two player games for the Vectrex? It sort of happened like that, because mainly because um, I was learning six eight oh nine on the fly. Right. Um, so when you're learning assembler, your your first thought is, how do I get something to work? And then do I want to write a whole bunch of really complicated AI routines? No, I do not. I am lazy. So maybe I could make some two-player games. And the Vectrex doesn't have any. So it felt like let's make a whole compendium so that there's a big gap in the um, machine's um, market's the wrong word, um, in its library uh, could be filled. Also, um, there was one game I really wanted to write for it, which it felt perfectly at home in the machine, but that didn't exist. And that was Tron, you know, Light Cycles. Um, for a vector machine, that's that's pretty much you've got to have that on the machine, but it doesn't have it. Uh, it's it turns out it's really hard to write because um, 
normally when you're doing um, drawing pixels to the screen, they stay where they are. Um, and so you can draw, even if a very slow machine, you can, you can just continually delete the end of the, the snake and continually put dots in at the start. And so you can have this long thing getting bigger and bigger. And if you don't delete the end, you can make it as long as you like. No problem. The Vectrex doesn't work like that. Every 50th of a second, you've lost everything. So everything you've written to the screen is gone. So you have to um, find some way to store all of the places you've been and redraw it every single frame. For two players, um, bearing in mind that you've only got about 800 bytes of RAM. So it was it turned out to yeah. be much harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> Excellent. So player two then, let's talk about... Uh, player two, the cartridge that you've come up with. When did you um, when did you finish it? When was it released? I think it was November uh, last year. Excellent. Um, and just can you rattle through what games are available on the cartridge? What can we play? Oh, with? Blimey! Give me a second. <laughs> um, okay, so there's pong and tennis, the vari- variations on the same um, thing with multiple bats. Um, then there's space war, um, rotators all, which is uh, two guys shooting different aliens as they come into a central planet. Um, Spiderfish. I wish I thought of a better name for that. <laughs> you have to shoot spiders or fish. Um, it's basically a reaction game for two players. And then there's balloons where you have different balloons floating up the screen. And some of them you can shoot and some of them you have to avoid. And the other players trying to do the same, but also trying to shoot you across the gap. Um, so that was sort of like the, the getting the first simple arcade stuff out of the way, which I got a feel for how it worked and how to deal with arrays in the 6029 and how to store graphics data. So I could essentially have, again, sprites isn't really the right word, but it's, it's, it'll do for now. It's sort of um, a, a way of storing the data for uh, drawing an actual individual element. Of course, there's no pixels. Um, and then so I started getting a little bit um, more ambitious and I made artillery, which is a bit like worms if it was all stuck on one screen. Um, so you have, um, it's essentially a tank battle. You have multiple different locations and you've got to try and each take turns to work out the trajectory, fight the wind direction, that kind of stuff to knock out the other bases. And that started making me get a bit more, it was, was initially it was sort of like a hobby project. And then when I'd written this game, I thought this is actually half decent. This actually might be quite fun to play for two people. Um, so I wanted to start adding more stuff. Um, so there's a racing game where you have multiple different tracks and two little cars which um, have inertia and um, can do handbrake turns around corners and things like this. Mm-hmm. So that's like a super sprint top-down style racing game. Yeah, yeah. that kind yeah. of thing. Um, and that's where I had to learn about um, fixed point um, mathematics so I could do you know, proper inertial movement. Because um, you've only got 8-bit numbers most of the time. But if you treat them as 16-bit, you, I don't know if this is incredibly boring to describe. Not at all, not at all. <laughs> um, but you can use the 8-bit number for a position because the, the, the Vectrex only has, uh, it's 256 by 256 is the screen size in essence, although it's not really pixels. But you can use the other half of your 16-bit number as a sort of a fractional part. So you can actually get smooth movement, um, inertia, and this kind of stuff, which is really important for things like the Space War game as well. Then Tron, which turned out to be the, the killer. I thought it would be, oh, I'll just knock this together really fast. I mean, I think that one of the first games I wrote on a 286 PC was a version of this for four players. Yeah, I, I wrote it in Pascal at college just to, you know, to test myself, test out my programming skills. It wasn't particularly taxing, not in the way that you described for the Vectrex. Well, I, I think I wrote mine in Turbo Pascal, so we probably had a similar yeah, um, yeah. experience. I almost got kicked out of school for that one. <laughs> 
it took over all of the PCs. But um, yeah, it was really easy in Turbo Pascal. It was really yeah, hard. I think the only thing, the only challenge to figure out was, oh, okay, why does it go quicker down the screen than it goes across the screen? And you compensate different for that. pixel density, right? Exactly, exactly. That's about it. <laughs> but nothing like you describe on the Vectrex. So that was a really interesting challenge to fix, um, and I don't think I ever want to go back and look at that code because it is horrible. <laughs> um, because you've got haven't got very much memory, you also tend to end up using routines from other pieces of the code. So the Pong game might grab the score display from the from the Tron game or something like this, and that, so that you can jump around in ROM to try and cut down the amount of uh, usage, and you end up cramming as much as you physically can into it. And then, um, after that, I decided to try incoming, which was a really bad idea. Um, I figured, well, I've got all this space. You know, I've, got, I've got 8K or 10K or something. Why don't I, I write a full 100-screen maze game for two players with spaceships? Um, that took about the same time as everything else did put together. Uh, it was, <laughs> it was, it was really well worth work. it, though, because you let me play this at a, a recent expo, um, a little user group meeting that we went to. And uh, you had your two Vectrexes set up there. And it was a really fun game. You've got all of the things that you've talked about that you've picked up in the other games, like inertia and gravity and all of these things. There's there's like a thrust element. If I'm thinking about the same game, there's a thrust yeah. element where you have to pick up and sort of grapple with a grappling hook, a thing, and carry it around yes. the level while player two's hitting buttons and doing things like that to guide you through the level. From a technical point of view, would you say that that was your crowning achievement then in the compilation? Yes, I had to use everything I'd learned in all of the other games in order to make this one. So yeah, it was kind of a combination of everything else. Plus it's the only, um, it's the only co-op game I think that exists on the Vectrex. I don't know of anything else that's like that. Maybe there's another one, but I've not encountered it. Um, so you're not actually trying to ruin each other's lives. You're actually trying to work together. Just a bit of a change. And then I still had a little bit of Ram left after I'd <laughs> done this. So I wrote, um, I figured out how to write um, a version of Joust in 500 bytes. Um, then I still had a little bit of RAM left even after that, so I put in some screensavers, a um, whole bunch of options, code systems, then systems so you can check the joysticks, check the graphics alignment, all this kind of stuff. Because the Vectrex alignment goes out all the time. The the hardware is, um, well, it's getting on for 40 years old now, and it's, it wasn't great to start with, so the lines don't match up. The, it goes slowly. The angle slowly rotates to the left. All this kind of stuff happens to Vectrexes, so you have to put in some um, applications to allow people to test their cartridges out, test the machine. And what else did I put in? Um, oh, yeah, there's three other hidden games in there, some seasonal Easter eggs so that at Christmas, Easter, and Halloween, you can type in codes and you get like an extra free game or some extra free features and stuff like this. So kind of like DLC for the, um, the Vectrex. This is what happens when a game developer doesn't have a deadline to release. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if I ever have another child, I'll try writing another game like this. It's probably going to be a while before I get another opportunity like this. Yeah. So um, development, you say that the Vectrex does, can't really be emulated. Was there some form of emulation that you used as part of the development yep. process? Okay. No, sorry. When I, it certainly can be emulated, but you can't make something that looks like it. Yeah, you can't emulate because, uh, the experience of that screen. Yeah. Yeah. A modern LCD or LED um, doesn't work in the same way that a, a vector-driven display does. So you don't get that strange, sharp, crisp glow and all the rest of it. But you can certainly run something that looks a bit like it. Um, so I used... Um, oh, actually, if I could find the name of the emulator. Um, there's one that's sort of half-written. 
um, that works very well for this kind of thing. But there's also an actual, incredibly, there's a development environment now. There's a, a chap called Malban who's written something called VIDE, or Vectrex Integrated Development Environment. It's kind of like Visual Studio. You've got an emulator built into it, um, parts of it for dealing with things like graphics and sound. I wish I'd known about this when I started. Because <laughs> um, I was doing everything in Notepad and then Visual Studio, and then I started writing some, some sort of bits and pieces to do this myself, using things like Blender to do the graphics. And um, like really, really over-engineered solutions for trivial problems. Um, so I could take um, a very simple piece of artwork in Blender and convert it using a whole Unity project into a bunch of numbers. Um, just so it could run on this machine that, that like everything on my desk can, can outperform in a very, very odd project I ended up doing. It would have blown the mind of a, a 1982 Vectrex programmer. <laughs> yeah, I'd have loved to have access to this kind of hardware. But you must have actual hardware then. Do you have quite a collection of Vectrex machines? I've got um, I've got three, two of which work and one of which um, doesn't turn on anymore. So I think it's probably a power power supply problem, probably not damaged internally. Um, but you have to have more than one Vectrex because once you've bought one, you kind of want another one, and you have a suspicion that the one you've got is going to go wrong fairly soon. So yeah, <laughs> you so. need a whole bunch of components to. Yeah, so hoarding spares is is the job of yeah. any Vectrex owner. Um, and in terms of market, I mean, clearly you weren't designing this to make a profit or anything like that um, oh, no, it's, because it's, the user it's, base must be so <laughs> tiny <laughs> if you're going to make an if you make an absolutely chronic loss then write a game for a machine like this it's the way to go <laughs> do you have any idea how many are still out there sort of roughly have you seen how many vectrexes yeah yeah um no one's really able to work it out i think there was a there's a a system for working out how many of a certain machine exist in real life based on serial numbers that i think was invented by the I think it was invented by the MOD to deal with working out how many German tanks existed after the Second World War. Because it, they, they had a certain number of serial numbers and a certain number of old damaged tanks, but they couldn't work out how many were actually built. So there's a sort of a mathematical formula you can apply. And I think somebody's tried doing it for the, using, you know, plugging the same things in, the Vectrex, because it was manufactured in America. Uh, there's a European version. There's a Japanese version. There's like two or three different factories were making it. And the serial numbers, they are not. They're not serial. They go all over the place. They jump and they have batches. Um, but it, it's it's got to be maybe maybe a hundred thousand of these things ever shipped because they were so unusual, and maybe tens of thousands still exist. Probably most of them don't work anymore. So we're probably talking, you know, maybe ten thousand working machines in the world, and probably less than that. Yeah, and but, even fewer owners if you're all hoarding them and gathering parts. Yeah, I think I mean, everyone seems who buys one ends up buying a second one, maybe a third. One guy has about 40 or 50 of them. I've seen the photograph. It's jaw-dropping. Um, <laughs> must have cost him a fortune. So with that in mind then, and with the experience of, of creating Player 2, will you do it again? Yes, but I've got to get my girlfriend's permission before I do it this time. Um, <laughs> it, it became a whole thing. The poor lasses had to go to um, you know computer shows and things like that to, to sell maybe one copy of the game. Um, I think we, because what happened was I, I started, I realized I wanted to put it onto a ROM, which means I had to learn how to burn ROMs, which isn't a skill you really need anymore. Um, so once I did that, then I realized I needed to put it onto a circuit board with an EEPROM and some other components. Once I did that, then I needed to get cartridges and then stickers for the label at the front of them. And then, because the Vectrex doesn't have color graphics, it has, um, it's, it's monochrome. 
because they had a job lot of old black and white CRT. So if you want to do color, you have to do a trans, uh, sort of um, a vinyl uh, front cover on the, on the game that goes on the screen. It's transparent. And of course, nobody makes those anymore. So you have to go to a plastics manufacturer and say, hi, I've got a really weird order for you and see what they come up with. Um, that was expensive. Um, because obviously it's a, it's a one-off run of a couple of hundred of these things, which, and and they have to build a special piece of kit to allow you to do this run, which they're never going to use for anything else. Then of course is the box printing and the instruction manual, and it just goes on and on. <laughs> and you realise what the hell have I done with my time? Um, and you'll probably only sell one or two hundred copies of the game anyway. But it's kind of fun to have made something that that looks like it fits onto the shelf next to everything else. Yeah, you really have gone to a lot of effort to create a really professional-looking product. It's it's a really nice package, and you're doing the rounds at expos, trying to trying to. Well, you're not. I wouldn't say you're trying to flog it because you're not giving the hard sell at all at these expos. Yes, you're you're no, just having a cup of coffee, chatting with people, and if they happen to buy your game, they buy your game. That'd be terrific. But it, yeah, I'm not. I'm not going there expecting. Oh, finally, I'll make my fortune. <laughs> So for those who perhaps do have a Vectrex, the, uh, all three of you watching now, um, where can they find your game? Where can they buy your game from? Well, if they look for Player 2 Vectrex on eBay, I've got some there, or um, you can go to jubbernaut.com and you'll find it there as well. Um, contact details and just drop me an email or jubber at jubbernaut.com and I'll sort something out. Okay, well, I will put all of those links in the description to this video. That's uh, very kind of you. I personally have half a Vectrex that was donated to me. It, I think it was pilfered for parts, and I was given the uh, the, the remains of the corpse. So hopefully, well, that's sad. hopefully one day I'll have a working Vectrex, uh, and then I'll get to play it here. Uh, but until then, thank you for your time, Robin, and uh, good luck with the sales. Thank you very much, <laughs> and thank you for having me on the show. Thanks. Cheers. <laughs>